You're listening to the TV Obsessive channel, presented by tvobsessive.com. Okay, welcome back to the TV Obsessive podcast. We're here for episode 23 today. As always, I'm Cameron Crane, the executive editor for tvobsessive.com, joined here by Ryan Kirksey, writer and contributor for the site. How are you doing today, Ryan? I am doing wonderful, uh, especially good. Today is Fargo Day, which we've been looking forward to for some time. I've never been anywhere near Fargo. Have you been up in that area at all? You know, I haven't, actually. But see, here the, the thing is, I feel bad about it because I have an aunt who lived in North Dakota. She passed away <laughs> when I was a teenager. And she was like, really cool. And it's like one of these things where it's like, man, I really kind of wish I knew my Aunt April a little bit better. I never made it out there to visit her while and while she was alive. Um, she was in, she was a judge, so it's, it's like oh, there, there's all there, oh, there's always okay. some way that when I watch Fargo stuff, I I think of her, you know, because <laughs> I imagine her like in the courtroom having to deal with people like this or something like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, we wouldn't neither of us know firsthand about this uh, Minnesota nice. I know about Texas nice. That's sort of like. I'm going to draw a gun on you at any moment, but I don't know anything about Minnesota nice. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I think it's, I get it a little bit, you know, I grew up, uh, when I was a kid in like Michigan, you know, yeah. and this is not the same thing because there's a very kind of stereotypical kind of Minnesota nice thing, but you know, I feel like I do have some experience that gets a little bit close with a little bit of that Midwestern vibe. So I don't know. I've always appreciated Fargo. Yeah, same same here. I, I think you and I are both very excited to certainly watch and also talk about this this new season. It is getting very good reviews. We'll get into some of that. Um, but well, I think I speak for both of us when I say that we're excited to not only watch the show but talk about it today. We're going to dig into the first couple of episodes in the second half of this show. Uh, but before we do that, so in terms of the news this week, anything in particular catch your eye? Uh, a couple. I have a couple of cancellations. I mean, neither of these are things that I've watched. I don't know about you. Um, Shadow and Bone. You watch Shadow and Bone on the Netflix? Never. No. Okay. I mean, apparently adapted from a book series. I know that you know some people have got really into it, and people are upset that this one's been canceled. And then right before we came on, I read Muppets Mayhem has been canceled. So you've got Disney canceling the Muppets on us. You can't you can't cancel Muppets. I mean, I know. Uncancelable. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know that on, on Shadow I... and Bone. Yeah. On Shadow and Bone. This is one of these shows that multi novels, right? People are upset because it sort of went through part of the novels and and not gonna be able to finish the the books. I understand it. Is that right? Yeah, my understanding on Shadow and Bone is that, um, and I think it was one of these things where maybe it had been renewed or or people really thought that there was going to be more. There's more source material. I think they'd also announced a spinoff show. And now they've come around and said, no, this show is canceled. There's not going to be any more. There's no longer going to be a spinoff show. You know, you're, you're out of luck. No more. No more shadow and bone. It seemed to get kind of mixed reviews as far as I could tell, but it was one of those things that some people were really into, you know, it's kind of fandom. And just another example of how, I don't know about you, but increasingly it's just really hard to trust Netflix with any, to give anything more than two seasons. You know, it's just been so many shows that they've canceled after one season or canceled after two seasons when you know that there was a plan for more, you know? Um, exactly, exactly. It doesn't seem to be much in terms of fan service in that regard. It's just a bottom line figure for them. Yeah, and but there's, I mean, Glow, that happened to 1899 from the people who made Dark, you know, um, the OA, of course, right? Canceled after two seasons. And... Uh, other things as well, you know, like we could um, probably spend a long time rattling off a list. 
Well, in terms of something that's been around forever, it seems like, um, I, I can't say I've ever seen any of Blue Bloods, this uh, Tom Selleck New York crime show, but it's going to end after season 14. I didn't round, realize it's been around for 14 years of our life. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. I've never watched Blue Bloods. Um, I kind of didn't realize it was still on. Yeah. Um, I remember when it started because I had this job where I watched TV for Nielsen. I don't know if I ever told you about this job. Um, but we'd watch TV and track mm. product placements. And uh, I remember when oh. Blue Buds premiered. And I was like, oh, yeah, Tom Selleck. And, and yeah, that was like 14 years ago. So uh, I guess it's been going strong. In other... Um, see, I feel like that's a dad show. Yes. Very and in so. other dad show news, you've got uh, plans for more Bosch. You know, so... <laughs> For all the dads out there who are upset that Blue Bloods is that big, console yourselves. You're going to get another Bosch spinoff, more Bosch, right? So the Bosch averse. Yeah, is... so, I, so I'm a I'm, the, the Bosch verse. <laughs> I'm a dad and never seen any Bosch. Is there something wrong with me? Do I need to go watch it? Is this what you're telling me? Um, oh, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I feel like somehow whatever it means to say is a dad show doesn't necessarily mean that you have to like it because you're a dad i just feel <laughs> like the real big demographic is probably dads and like maybe older than you too like it's like dads in their 60s yes. or something like watching bosch and blue bloods just maybe i'm being very <laughs> stereotypical but i know my dad likes bosch oh okay well i've heard that um Jack Reacher is another big dad show coming c- coming back. So maybe I just need to get into that genre. Yeah, my dad likes Reacher too. You know, like oh, my dad's in his seventies, so you know, but <laughs> I, you know, for whatever that's worth. Old, um, older, older dad, older dad genre. Okay, all right. No boss for me, no shadow and bone. I'm just, I'm just behind on all this good stuff. But there is stuff actually uh, coming back. We're getting starting to get a lot of. Premiere dates announced. ABC has announced their lineup. Abbott Elementary, Grey's Anatomy coming back. NBC did the same. All the old standbys, Law and Order, all the Law and Order spinoffs, the Chicago Night, everything is coming back. So, in January, early February, the uh, people are putting putting pen to paper quickly and getting these shows back on the air. Yeah, and I think that the new NCIS premiered and didn't put this in our notes, but in NCIS, oh, really? Sydney, I, I think I think that premiered. Always popular. I, NCIS was always my example oh, of like you would think everyone watches Game of Thrones and it's like no everyone watches NCIS because it's like the highest rated <laughs> yeah. show on television um, is that that show uh, had all Australian actors so they were able to record during the strike I guess oh I don't I don't know <laughs> I should have been more prepared I didn't put it in our <laughs> notes but yeah we're getting some network TV back um, you know, in, in terms of uh what we're watching right now, I'm still on the curse. And uh I was gonna mention a couple of these yes. promos we saw because the strike's over, you know, because the strike's over, we can get Nathan Fielder and Emma Stone promoting the show and giving us this extracurricular goodness, which I do appreciate. Um did did you yeah, see you, that? Uh the yeah, parody? you you brought this parody to my attention. Where did this come from? I I think they just made it and put it online. They got together and um, they're parroting and they did it within like 24 hours of the anyone but you um, promo coming out where you've got um, Sydney Sweeney and what's the guy's name? Glenn Powell or whatever. Glenn Powell, yeah. And, and so they make um, this promo for the curse that's directly mimicking them, you know, with this little bit like, I think it's my show. We'll see whose show it is when it comes out. You know, it's like almost word for word. Um, but then, then I mean, it is funny. Obviously, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say it's it's funny. So my understanding, they did sort of a word for word, a shot for shot parody of this of this promo that Glenn Powell and Sydney Sweeney done. Glenn Powell, Sydney Sweeney, I think you're universally thought of as like. Two of the most beautiful people in the world. And so they're up there. Obviously, Emma Stone is incredibly talented, Nathan Fielder and all his talents. Um, it, it's just quite striking to see 
a promo of Glen Powell, Sydney Sweetie. You can just put them on this, in front of a screen and their two faces are going to attract people to watch. And then you got Nathan Fielder and Emma Stone trying to do the same thing. Yeah, I, mean, I think Emma Stone is very attractive. Nathan Fielder, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm straight. But I, I guess some <laughs> people find Nathan Fielder attractive. But it, that's part of the humor, I think, and the, they're the thing. And then the, when they were on Kimmel, too, um, he was acting like he was a really huge celebrity. Um, but the funniest thing about that is he showed up with, like, these small sunglasses and I don't know, you'd have to look at how he was dressed, but he, he started saying like, no, this is me in real life. You gotta, you know, I'm a laid back, chill dude. Um, <laughs> I'm not this stiff guy. Uh, that was a character. And he was like really hung up on this New York times review that um, says Emma Stone's a great actor in the curse. And then there's Fielder, you know, and he's like, this is wrong. And he like gets Jimmy Kimmel to call the New York times to try to get them to issue a correction. <laughs> oh boy. The, the, this again, at some point we're going to have to spend some time, time with this show. I, I mean, it's, it's one of those, it's hard to just consume it and let it sit. You need to, to marinate on it and, and, and sort of let your thoughts bubble up. So at some point we're going to have to have to do that, but that is also a show. I'm, um, that I'm watching. What else is on your your viewing list? No, well, basically, I've been doing the curse. I've been doing the murder at the end of the world. I'm writing on both of those, and then you know, watching Fargo for for our podcast here today, and that pretty much filled my docket up this week. I mean, I watched some football, but that's about it. Other than uh, those three, what about you? Yeah, I was gonna I was gonna say we're back, man. We got like real real good TV. That's uh filling up our our hours uh been on a very similar trajectory with shows that i'm watching um speaking of football uh i don't know if you i believe you're a hard knocks uh fan in season version with the miami dolphins starts tonight on on hbo this is a fascinating team this season and uh, i'm definitely going to start watching this did you happen to catch any of the cardinals version last year the in season version Oh, you know, I haven't. I've never watched Hard Knocks all that much. I, you know, I watched some this offseason with the Jets. So I was kind of taken with that. Um, man, could you imagine if they were doing in-season with the Jets right now? Oh, my gosh. I, I would love it. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> this is just bench Zach Wilson. And, you know, like, they, it would be awful. It would be so, it'd be, like, more excruciating than the curse to see what's going on behind the scenes of the New York Jets right now. But the Dolphins, I love Mike McDaniel. What about you? I I absolutely do. I mean, this guy is great. This guy is so so media when he talks to him. He is boisterous when he's on camera. I mean, he's just a a, a great. I think a great person and a great team to sort of lead this in season. Uh, this in season version. This is a really fun team with some interesting personalities on it. Um, yeah, Mike McDaniel, as he's sort of getting involved and sort of getting under the hood with him and seeing what he's really like as he, as he leads a team through what's a, been a pretty good season, I'm, I'm very excited about. Yeah, so I want to ask you, right? I'm, I'm presuming you've seen these things before, maybe you haven't. I'm going to give you two options, okay? It's it the, the question is favorite Mike McDaniel press yeah. conference moment, okay? Option one, this is pretty recent, this is last okay. week. Um, Devon A. Chan's coming back from injury. The guy asks him a kind of detailed pushing question about Devon A. Chan's usage. Like, do you, what, do you think you'll see a normal amount of usage coming off this injury? Or, you know, and, and Mike McDaniel said, how much money do you have invested in fantasy football? Did you see that clip? <laughs> so, okay. yes, yes. That's option one. Option two, which I might prefer, but I don't know. It's, it's kind of a toss-up. Uh, way back after week five. Yes, it's already, they, yes. It's yeah, already. <laughs> so they point out how the Dolphins have, you know, beat the stats of this uh, uh, greatest show on turf Rams, and he says, mission accomplished. I, I, I mean... <laughs> Gets up there and says, "Oh, 
Yes, absolutely. We were going for most most yardage after five games in the season. <laughs> that was I our mean, goal coming into the yeah, season. Yeah, that was our yeah. goal. Yes, I, I just I hope we see some more of that in in depth with this with this team. I hope it's as good for publicly as he is behind the behind closed doors. This is, I, I mean, this is going to be an every Tuesday night thing for me for sure. Once uh, I think this is six six episodes, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, I really might have to check it out because he's just he's just a riot. But I mean, he also seems like. An incredibly good coach. He cares about his players. He's, he, you know, just seems like a really, really great coach. And, you know, all, all together, um, big fan of Mike McDaniel and what he's doing with that team. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm very much looking forward to to that. So yeah, I'll be tuning into that tonight. Um, last week, Monarch opened up with the first two episodes out of ten. Uh, the next one coming out later this week um i wrote about this for the site i i quite liked it i kind of how it i think i described it sort of filled in some of the cracks or fix fix some of the holes that these monsterverse movies have have created over the past nine years and and really i think laid out what maybe something like the mcu could learn from some of these shows we're not trying to do too much they're trying to make human elements out of it they're trying to sort of show the aftermath and real human um experience in something traumatic like this so the first two episodes were quite good there's some time jumping you kind of have to get used to and for who's sort of uh so, so some of that time jumping that can be a bit disorienting but i really enjoyed the first two and and, and looking forward to uh yeah eight more weeks of monarch well yeah i mean it's not really interesting to me i'm not up to speed on all the films i guess but that that kind of idea as you described it of yeah sort of filling in around the edifice, you know, patching up the cracks or whatever, you know, however you want to put it. That sounds like a really interesting approach as opposed to the ever-expanding kind of MCU. You know, exactly. And, and you know, those movies, since, since they started, since they were first put on the big screen, you know, 60, 70, 80 years ago, um, it was always... What happens with this this large experience? The sort of grand thing that happens with some city or some some place that they destroy, and then they either destroy the monster or the monster gets away, and that's the movie. You never sort of see what the show does a good job doing. Well, yeah, and they tried a bit in the uh, Matthew Broderick movie. <laughs> so that doesn't exist. No, it was that. It was that because <laughs> it was too much about the human beings. It was just like. Where's Godzilla? Yeah. You know? yeah. I remember being so disappointed in that. And it was, I worked in a movie theater when that came out and they put it on like every screen in the, in the, in the movie theater, you know, and they had just like 20 million showings. And then I feel like it flopped and was gone a couple of weeks. I, so here's a quick, quick story. About that. Yeah. I have a quick story about that. So, okay. you know, this was, this was my wheelhouse. I think that movie came out in 98. So, 96 independence day comes out this massive massive movie you probably saw it three or four times 97 titanic comes out saw it three or four times this massive thing so you know me i thought oh next in line is is godzilla i mean this is sort of ultra popcorn masterpiece movie that everyone's going to fall in love with was certainly a, i was wrong about that one that, that was <laughs> number one on my list that year but uh it did not live up to the hype if we uh if uh, i must say so yeah unfortunately same I seem to recall, like, working at the movie theater, usually we could see movies for free. And I feel like right, right when that came out, they told us we couldn't, at least right at first, because it was such a big deal. And I think I paid to see it. Yeah. It was really disappointing. <laughs> it burned in my memory. Oh. And, like... <laughs> All right. Well, no, it's better. So we got some um, good good MonsterVerse content coming up. Yeah, it's good. Okay, well, so um, should we get to Fargo? Yes, please. Really excited about talking about this. Yeah, so we're talking about season five premiere of Fargo on today's podcast, episodes one and two. It's a two-episode premiere, which came out today, Tuesday, November 21st. We're on top of this, okay? So the uh, the plan is that this podcast will come out basically, basically like immediately after it's aired um, on FX. So huge spoiler warning to everyone, right? I think that the episodes don't drop on Hulu until tomorrow. That might be at midnight. You know, I'm not sure what time it is that it shows up on Hulu. 
regardless, um, to try to get this out right around midnight after it's aired on Netflix on FX at 10 and 11. Um, so spoilers on the table for the season five premiere. It's episode one and episode two, season five of Fargo. And uh, yeah, we're going to dig into the episode in detail here on the other side of our little break. As Cameron said, we will be coming to the same night Fargo airs every week um, of this new show. And so we are very excited to talk about season five. Uh, and just a quick recap before we get in to some of the depth of the of the first two episodes. Uh, we start by seeing a precocious and peppy housewife, Dot, who is at a school board meeting in her home of Scandium and the bunch of violence happening over some issue, probably something to do with the library, and she tasers a couple of police officers, landing her in jail and getting her fingerprinted um, over overnight. She is released the next morning and allowed to go back home to her husband, Wayne, and their, their daughter. But while at home that next day, two masked men come attack her, and they eventually, after a lot of work on her part and a lot of in, in, intuitive and, and innovative Uh, but the kidnapper's van, once they get into North Dakota, is pulled over, and uh, Dot escapes. The kidnappers kill one of the troopers, injure another, an officer named Wit. Uh, Dot is able to run over to a nearby gas station where she sets up a series of traps and things that end up killing one of the kidnappers, injuring another, and she also helps save save Officer Wit at the same time. Um, she runs off without any um anyone helping her she just went out to clear her head for a while after being arrested and spending the night in jail um wayne's overbearing and rich mother lorraine doesn't exactly buy all of this and thinks that dot may be up to something to help steal their family fortune so she is has uh, put her lawyer on the case trying to figure out what's going on and meanwhile as we dig into a little bit of dot's background and learn that she may not be who she says she is we we're introduced to Sheriff Roy Tillman, sheriff of uh, their area of Minnesota, and his loyal son, Gator, who were trying to track down Dot because Roy used to be married to her. Um, something in Dot's past gives her a Liam Neeson voice special set of skills, and we don't exactly know what that is. And we just know that Roy and Gator and Lorraine and the police are all trying to sort of figure out what happened to Dot, get to the bottom of this mystery, and also who she is. Um, while at the same time, Dot confronts her family and thinks she's going to keep up the, the family life that she has going in Scandia, Minnesota. Um, there's a lot going on in these first two episodes. You and I think for, both agree we wish this was a one-episode rollout, but uh, we deal with the hand that we've got. And I don't know, based on all of that, that's all of this sort of character we've just been introduced to, what are your general thoughts here on the first first couple of episodes of Fargo? Yeah, to start with one of the last things you said, you know, I, I watched the first episode. I thought, man, I wish we could stop and talk about this right now. Because as you went through all of that, naturally you kind of run together things from the first episode with the second episode first episode kind of raised questions that maybe you could make inferences about for yourself and then it gets kind of spelled out in episode two fair enough like this is how tv works um but particularly when the first episode is so strong because i thought that was great and you end with her mixing pancakes in the kitchen and all of that and it was like <laughs> i'm fucked this is, you know, the mix of the kind of you know, uh, dark humor, the the kind of radical violence, which I think is actually a part of the dark humor, and then her delusional kind of, oh, no, everything's fine. What do you say it on? You know, <laughs> like, this is like, okay, yeah, man, this is Fargo. I just feel fully kind of back in terms of the way that this show earns the name Fargo it, it's it's largely about the tone you know if we think back to the Coen Brothers film and all of that and I felt like immediately I was I was sucked into that what about you yeah this this really 
I think sucked me in these first two episodes. Um, th- there was, I guess, sort of a natural progression first to the second. Um, but it, it, it just, I think, really had a powerful punch right out of the gate here. I, I was someone who was quite down on seasons three and four. One and two, I thought, were pretty much perfect. Um, staying in the nature of the of the film. Um, then three and four were in my mind, sort of letdowns in this, at least in the first two episodes, I mean, right back to where I'd hoped it would always um, always be. I was very, very impressed and can't wait to to dig into the rest of them. Yeah, I mean, I think certainly you're not alone in that about the, you know, a lot of people are saying, oh, it feels like it's back. I feel that, you know, I don't know. I, I don't want to bully, you know, get down on the previous season so much necessarily. But, you know, part of it might be um, the time period that we're set in, you know, and here we're, we're sort of back to now or it's not now it's 2019. They tell us it's 2019. I don't know how much that matters, but it's not 20. It's not after 2020. It's before 2020, just to know, <laughs> you know, um, but I think it still lands as, you know, in that space of the felt present. Um, and that's part of what it has going for it. I think. I, I think, personal set in 2019 i think it mattered for john ham's character who is sheriff roy tillman um i think it mattered for his son gator i think it mattered for sort of a cultural and and social and political um, environment where you have people at each other's throats about a uh, what issues going on at a school board meeting. That's how the show starts. I think Wayne's mom, Lorraine, is the CEO of a debt a corporate greed angle to it. So I think the 2019 angle is is important and sort of sets the stage for maybe people that might be emboldened because of certain things going on in this country. No, I definitely think so. I just feel like I think a lot of those cultural elements still feel pertinent now in, in yes. a meaningful way. But yes. like COVID's not in this story. I don't think, right? Unless it happens later. And I but I'll doubt that I doubt they'll do that, you know. But you are getting that, that setting and and Roy Tillman. So John Hamm. I'm gonna work through the characters a little bit here. You know. Um, I don't know about you, but John Hamm was a big thing I was looking yes. for forward to here. Totally delivered. Um you had uh, uh you, you you sent this my way about the, his nipple rings. And I feel bad for anyone who's reading that before they watched it. Insofar as when I was watching it, I saw him in his outdoor. Do we call this like a wooden hot tub or what? I don't know what to call it. Do those That's exist? Some... Yes, yeah, so he's in his repose, his moist repose or what have you. <laughs> and I, when I was watching it, I was sitting there and I started thinking like, wait a minute. Does he have nipple rings? <laughs> yeah. And um and everybody, yeah, he does. He has, he has two nipple rings, you know. Um, so I definitely do think that it it is effective in the way it's supposed to be, having read the story where like Noah Hawley's talking about it or whatever. Um but the way it played for me as a little bit of a surprise, I thought was good too. Yeah, I can't say that, you know, if, if you paint me a picture of maybe who this, uh, I think Noah Hawley said that he wanted John Hamm to be more than a sort of Bible-thumping, uh, conservative, uh, you know, middle-of-nowhere sheriff. That that was, you know, a piece of sort of what that character too much time necessarily on these, you know, with this one particular decision to make about this character. But just that John Hamm, I think, ever since the trailer came out, was sort of the draw of who he was going to be. And as you said, certainly has, has delivered so far. Has have any of the other characters? Yeah. So we open, I mean, like, meaningfully we open in episode two. He's just kind of there in episode one, which I enjoyed. But in episode two, you get him delivering that monologue about the natural order of things. And, yes. uh, uh, you know, is is there tension between that and the nipple rings? For me, part of the point is that the answer is no. If we can, you know, conceive of him as a real person existing in our world, as it were, you know, existing in North Dakota in 2019, 
Um, and then how he tells the FBI agents all this stuff about how he is the law and he lists off ridiculous statutes and 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 all of that. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's very entertaining. I had a, I had something to, to say about that that yeah that particular part where he's talking to FBI agents when he's he is listing some of these archaic and ancient laws maybe that exist in Minnesota and, and North Dakota. Um, I, I found it interesting that, um, you know, there's sort of some, some parallels there between maybe what he's saying there and, you know, maybe how, how much he's supposed to be sort of this, this right-wing Christian conservative. And he's maybe referencing that in, in relation to old laws, part of the old, old, his new law, the thing that he knows, he knows what the right thing is to do. He knows how to defend his territory. He knows how to take care of people. And so, you know, these old things you might actually consider, quote unquote, the law don't matter as much as what he thinks should be done, which is right for his his people. That's just sort of this macho attitude that he brings to the character that I thought to be really good. Yeah, and I think it fits in a certain way I and mean, it exemplifies a certain tendency in our political life. Um whether we're thinking of Trump, you know, MAGA, whatever, you know, but more broadly, or or to try to conceptualize it a little bit more, I think there is that kind of, I don't know, vibe of something along these lines of, it's not even a respect for the law, I don't even know how to put this now. It's not like um, you're pointing to traditional laws and rules even so much as like the feeling of this tradition embodied through like the figure of the righteous man or something like this right like he's Roy Tillman here is this mm. figure who has absolutely no doubt in his mind that he knows what is right with like the force of God behind him and that's <laughs> it, it, it and like not even the authority of a religious institution or something could make him question that. That's what I'm kind of trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I found that. So um, his son Gator played by Joe. Surely um, as you'll surely recognize um, is loyal is trying to be replicative, but is about as far emotionally and and maybe even uh mentally as you can be from from john ham's character and it's just just very very interesting it's almost like trying to follow you know daddy's footsteps but never can do anything to you know we're close to where he's gonna be yeah he's trying to, he's just kind of pose, he like he thinks he's uh he thinks he's tough because he's vaping you know i mean um right but yeah it's working uh, you try to avoid thinking of this, Steve. Um, <laughs> he, you know, the scene that I thought it was a little bit weird in the hospital. I don't know if you have a line on this. When he deletes the picture from mm. uh, Deputy Olmstead's phone, <clears throat> why? He doesn't <laughs> want him to show it. He doesn't want her to show it to Wit, I guess, but still, like, I, I'm still not entirely sure I get that. Do you have a good line on that? So I think if. Yeah, if my take on it was, if Wit sees it, he can positively identify that that's who it was. The officer already knows her and is aware of who she is, where she lives. Um, can put the pieces together to start to say, "Oh yes, this these events actually happened." Whereas Gator and Roy are fine for them to say, "No, those things didn't happen," because clearly they're the ones that hired uh, Old Munch to go kidnap her. So I think that he's wanting to sort of clear. dot and wit so that the uh the deputy can't put any of that together yeah no no that's good that's that's absolutely right obviously it's almost obvious i, I did but like because they want to keep the cops out of it yes there's a, there's this through line though where it's like it's kind of ridiculous how people are trying to keep the cops out of something the cops are entirely on top of <laughs> like dot herself like oh no i was just driving around you know and 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 uh of course um jennifer jason lee's character um mama lion Lorraine, she wants to keep the police out of it and i guess roy tillman and gator are the police but they want to keep the police out of it right like and yeah. and and yeah but at the same time 
our um, deputy in Dear Olmstead, uh, you know, it, it is one of these things thinking about this as Fargo. She's, I think she's ultimately the protagonist. Or at least she's like the Francis McDormand I, character here, right? I think very much like the Francis McDermott character. I think very much like that one, very much like the Alison Toman character from season one, where you sort of have a moral compass, a moral center, someone who's actually trying to put pieces together and do the right thing, if that's possible, amongst all this chaos and all these chaotic characters. Um, so I actually was very, I want to say, sympathetic and empathetic to, uh, yeah, Deputy Olmstead's character. Um This track tracks very similarly, checks a lot of the boxes, particularly of the movie in season one for me. And yeah, I just found her very much in the same vein. Yeah. And but then again, to re you know, repeat myself, they've got all this evidence like, hey, we found two types of blood in the house that aren't yours. We found, you know, uh the this burnt uh ski mask, you know, like all of this stuff. And here you have um dot trying to say nothing happened uh now do, do do you think that her husband yeah he plays along so her husband wayne played by david Ristol. um what do we make of him though like does he really believe her or is he just you know oh boy this is i, I don't know if there is a one character that thought this sort of a paragon or a stereotype of a particular person it was it was certainly wayne just sort of the um emasculated man pulled between family and for themselves can't do anything on their own and and that's fine i think he plays that character very very well um i i think that this is a character if if i'm sort of recalling my experience with this type of guy that's always going to or side with the with the mother and believe what the mother says, um, very much under her her thumb. I don't think he believes Dot and her story of oh nothing happened. It's all just a, a farce. Someone you get the feeling almost that he's he's going to believe whoever he's talking to at the moment because mm -hmm. at the end of episode two, it is kind of like Dot is sucked him in, which is absurd because he comes home. And she's like home alone, the house all up, and gotten their daughter involved in like putting live <laughs> wires around the windows and making a zombie killer bat and like all of this stuff. But she manages to get him to like be on board enough. And then they sit down and have dinner. You know, he, he just seems completely, um, I don't know, spineless or I mean, he's a likable guy at the same time, but. He's yes, just going to be persuaded yeah, by whoever he's talked to last. Spineless is a very good word, a very good way to describe um, him. I, I did, you know, the obviously whatever the dot, the background is of dot. We should talk about her in a second. The background of dot that allows her to, you know, come up with all of these schemes, these plans, this, you know, this uh, is fascinating. It always, it also though lends me to think that. I don't think someone who, you know, has got the Jason Bourne seals that she has would have flied off the handle and tasered a cop sort of putting her in this position in the first place. But that's just one of these things I'm going to have to, to look past, I think, just to sort of set this set up what this story is. Yeah, I, I don't know, because we don't know what we like. What does she have that background? Like she's some super sleeper agent. Yeah. Or or what, you know? Um <sighs> If so, I mean, I think it, it could fit to some degree. It's just kind of like violent mode is activated in that moment of the, of the, the melee of the meeting, the feeling yes. threatened. I think, I, I, I think just a, a, a minor correction. I think she tasered one cop. I think the first yeah, guy she right. she hit with the taser was like the math teacher. I think that comes That's out right. ultimately. That's right. Um, yes. But yeah, I mean, the way it all plays out, she then. She, she asks whether her, her prints are going to go into the system and all of that. There's this undercurrent of her as as being very, um, she's very, uh, like, what word do I want? You know, calculating. Whereas on the surface level, she's like Minnesota nice, you know. And, and you have that great scene where um, Lorraine comes to see her and they're talking at the table and Dot all of a sudden just like, drops the act and says like 
come at me, bitch, and I'm going to kill you. <laughs> right? And then puts the and then puts the act back up. It's great. Yeah, I think that, and this plays a little bit into the one thing I could not quite tell was is she in that scene doing a different accent than the Minnesota accent she's doing for the most of the rest of the series? I mean, clearly we have to talk about her being you know, just incredibly British and her transformation from who she was in, in Ted Lasso into this character. But was that two different accents that I heard from her? Um, you know, I don't know. It's a good question. I did see something about Juno Temple and, and how much she worked on the accent. Uh, apparently, she um, mm-hmm. stayed in the accent all the time uh, on set, whether they were filming or not, um, and and really had to really had to work on it. You know, I think she does a great job. So, is it supposed to be a different accent? I think becomes the real question you're asking, right? Yes, yes, yeah. And I don't know. I, don't I think know. maybe it is playing the Minnesota nice character, playing along as part of this family environment that she's been dropped into playing this role so that she can hide in plain sight away from the John Hamm character. And, you know, yes, there's a lot of stuff out there about how she was on the set of Ted Lasso starting to refine and practice this Minnesota accent. Um, But she she just, I mean, it's hard to kind of separate those two and, you know, for how much I love the other show, but she, I mean, I think she's starting to win me over with it. No, No, I mean, I think she's doing a great job. Just to be clear, what I'm saying, yeah, you know, I, I and I don't know, I don't know what I what I think. Even the question is like, is it supposed to be a different accent to where you could read something into that about the character that her character is putting on the Minnesota accent, right? Yes, and I'm yeah. not sure. Maybe that's interesting to think about, right? The other option would would just be that because she she kind of goes from, um chipper fake nice to quiet and serious you know is 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 that the only real difference here that she's kind of lowering her voice and 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 you know not not putting on so much affect as it were um yeah i, I think that's good. she i mean she, she was a great and it was a great intimidating scene you know she sits there with the rain and trying to you know, trying to say people that cross me don't don't live. Uh, yeah, just 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 good duality there between her, uh, the characters there that she she's trying to play. As clearly, she's trying to hide who who she was. Um, I mean, she yeah. certainly is the star of the show. She certainly is already, I think, going to be in a an Emmy conversations, and she, she's just doing a fast, fantastic job in the first two episodes. And it's worth noting, I believe, in our synopsis, you said. Roy used to be married to her. He says she is his wife. Oh, yes. He doesn't say it in the past tense. So I, I don't know. I, I guess I just think that's worth noting here, right? Like, probably there wasn't a divorce or anything. I don't know. What happened there is is another question, in other words. And um, to what extent is when you open with the monologue that Roy gives to the guy in the diner, um, you know, you, you can definitely read into that, that he views his wife as his property. She's still his property. That's what he's saying, regardless of, you know, where everything yeah. stands. So what happened between them? Um, did she, like, murder some people in North Dakota right away? You know, there are all kinds of things are, are possible. I, I, I just, I do have faith that this show will, will fill us in on those. I think it's very good about world building and still drawing out a very compelling st- story. I think the first two seasons were very good at that. So I, I have a, I have a strong hunch we will see um, what what has happened there. And I, I, frankly, assuming there are some, I, I can't wait for the you know Temple John Ham scenes where they're in the you know on the screen together. Oh yeah, that'd be good. Um, I feel like we should hit on Jennifer Jason Lee a little bit more and then also talk about Dave Foley. Um, you know, their scenes together. Yeah. I think well, the acting's great, you know. Maybe a good place to start is with the Christmas photo with the guns. <laughs> Cause our 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 like primary family unit, Dot, Wayne, and and Scotty, they they seem um totally um uh 
unwarned about the fact that they're going to be asked to hold guns here. <laughs> All of a sudden, like, here, hold guns. And they go along. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, as as someone from Texas, I, I don't see the big deal. I mean, every other <laughs> car we get, it's someone holding guns. So um, th- th- this is not a su- surprise to me, right? Maybe this is this is rare up there in in, uh, in Minnesota. No, in, in all seriousness, I, I just love the quote of, "Oh, you have to show strength, right? Don't let don't let yourself get out there in public without you know telling people how strong you are, showing them how how strong you are." of the world that we were living in in 2019 before you know things went to hell and and uh showing strength is certainly what this this the certainly the the mother seems seems to be be about the rest sort of seems subservient to her but she's definitely about showing strength yeah absolutely i I guess it made me think about these real world examples like yeah you know how often is it the case that someone else is like hey you have to hold a gun you know Uh, maybe i've made a mistake in presuming that everyone was on board with the gun christmas card you know um she's a force of nature clearly uh lorraine there and uh uh dave foley plays her faithful lawyer named danish which i find amusing um (laughs) I feel like Foley's doing a good job here. I don't know. I mean, maybe it is this a dramatic role? I mean, it's it's somewhat comedic, but I feel like I haven't seen Dave Foley in a lot of dramatic roles, and um, kind of impressed with him so far. Yeah, I was I mean, uh, news radio for the first time, um, all but the last season, the one without Phil Hartman, um, and found that should have been incredibly funny. Found him to be. Uh, his comedic timing to be just exceptional. And I think that he's bringing a lot of that to this role as well, in terms of how he looks, in terms of his demeanor, in terms of what he says, in terms of, you know, reaction when Lorraine tells him to slap the sun when they're on the phone together. I mean, just, it, I, I was very happy to see him again. I think he did a, a tremendous job for Lorraine. Yeah. You a fan of uh, Kids in the Hall? I've seen a little bit of kids in the hall. I've not seen a lot of it. I, I did plow through news radio, but now that I enjoyed that, I think I need to go revisit some more Dave Foley stuff. Yeah, they did. Um, you know, they they did a new season of Kids in the Hall just a couple of years ago, mm. um, and I actually thought it was quite good. I don't know if like if you don't have the background of being a fan of the Kids in the Hall twenty twenty five years ago, yeah. how does it land for you now? I, my line was sort of like, "It's Kids in the Hall, except they're old now." It, it, like it, it, it's still good. It still landed as well as um, as the old stuff for me as a kids in the hall fan. But um, I wonder yeah. if they get another season of that. I should try to look into that. Probably they've said nothing. <laughs> Probably. I know they want another season, you know, but um, I don't know that anything's been announced about it. They might not get one. Yeah. No, good addition. I was just looking here. He looks to be one of the last people they added. Yeah, that that's a tremendous addition. I mean, to to they, who they already had. I think he balances some of the real strong personalities there as sort of this a little bit more lighthearted, comedic. Um, he can carry some of that weight in these scenes, and he certainly does. Yeah, and he has an eye patch, and we don't know why. And I right. don't know that we'll find out why. Don't need to. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't. I don't know that we will, or or that we need to find out why Danish has an eye patch. Um, but yeah, man, I, I think this is great so far. I'm looking there forward to the rest of the season. A lot of things to find out so far. Uh, a lot of lot of mysteries, certainly, which is uh, sort of a hallmark of this uh, of this show. I think there's a lot that will be revealed, a lot probably that won't, and we'll end up at the end of the day saying, you know, that's fine. I think we got revealed what we needed to, and and uh, the story was was and the mystery were good along the way. Right. Like we we don't need old Munch's backstory. Right. <laughs> this is not what Fargo is going to do. He's great too, though, by the way. Um, I don't think we really talked about him. Um, presumably we'll see him more as he is that he's the wild card character, as it were, right? But episode two ends with a Gator finding that his partner has been killed in the parking lot of the gas station, right? And old bunch of saying, You owe me money, right? Exactly. Because instead of paying him, and you know he has a point. They told him he was going to kidnap a housewife. He didn't, they didn't tell him he was going to <laughs> snare a tiger. He has a point, right? But they didn't pay him. They tried uh, to kill I, him. I think that, um, yeah, that, I mean, it's a 
it's a fantastic point. I mean, I like the 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 reference of I think Wayne and Dot's last name is Lion. He calls her the tiger. Um, not exactly what he was expecting, and sort of one of these. Uh, I've got a foil now that uh, sort of meets my expectation of someone who's a worthy adversary. So I think I think definitely after the end of episode two, we'll be seeing a lot more of old Munch. Yeah, and you know, triangulate the triangulate the conflicts. Right, old Munch is now in conflict primarily with Roy Tillman, who's after Dot, whose mother-in-law thinks she's trying to defraud the family, and they all want to keep the cops out of it. And then we've got our good cop. Well, we, I think mean, we've got two good cops, right? Because I think Wit's also a good cop, ultimately. And he'll get out of the hospital and something will happen there. Yeah, um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think it's a spoiler thing in a hospital bed. So I think he's he, he's quite prominent in this season. Yeah. All right, man. Yeah, well, so I'm looking forward to watching the rest of this. Uh, again, we're going to be back. Each week on Fargo season five. Uh, that's the plan. Um, anything else you want to hit on before we get out of here today, Ryan? I think that's about it. We've covered the characters. We've covered just sort of our thoughts so far. Um, this is going to be a fun, fun one to, to cover. Obviously, also we'll have episode three here on what, November 28th. And we'll have a podcast. Uh, assuming nothing goes, goes haywire, we'll have a podcast up that very same night. Yeah, sounds good. That's the plan. So, okay. Hopefully everyone's into Fargo. Uh, you can also go and read the recap of this premiere by Felicia Nickens on tvobsessive.com. Um, and we'll be back next week. Thanks always for listening. Do check out the website. Follow us on social media. Give us a good review wherever you're listening to the podcast. Maybe go to YouTube and hit subscribe if you want to do me a favor. And... Uh, We'll see you next week. All right. Can't wait for it. See you then.